Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Research, a research podcast from the Institute of Education at Dublin City University, with me, your host, Dr. Peter Tiernan. Okay, so I'm here this month with Dr. Amelie Meehan from the School of Human Development in the Institute of Education at Dublin City University. Thank you very much for joining me, Amelie. You're very appreciate welcome, you. Peter. I appreciate you giving up your time. Busy time of year, start of semester, nice buzz around the place. As we've ju- we were just chatting beforehand, uh, there's life back on the campus, so it's lovely to see. Um, so, Amelie, just uh, as an introduction, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. So, Peter, my area is religious education. I teach on the Bachelor of Religious Education and I'm an associate researcher with the Anti-Bullying Centre. Okay. Um, and uh, you t- so you teach on the BRL, the Bachelor of Religious Education? Yeah, I've, I've a post-primary background to start with in the sciences. Um, started asking questions there. Brought me into the area of mystery and awe, <coughs> religions and theology. <coughs> um, yeah, that's my background. Excellent. So a nice... Uh, Interesting mix of, of, of science and theology. Yeah, yeah, it has served me well. Very good. Excellent. Um, so specifically then, what are you here to talk to us about today? I suppose about best practices in integrating migrants into second level schools. Okay. This is a project that I got involved with through the Anti-Bullying Centre. It's a, a kind of a pan-European project. Lots of European countries thinking about how best to integrate migrants into mm-hmm. second level schools and what are the best practices around that. And it's not that there's anything new about migration. Mm-hmm. Migration is as old as the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, documented accounts of people moving and staying, journeying and abiding, setting up homes, moving off again. What's new in the Irish context is how quickly we have mm-hmm. become a country of net immigration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly when I was growing up, we were very definitely a country of net emigration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is very different. And how are we not just coping with that? How are we learning from it? How are we celebrating the diversity? And how are we best integrating migrants into our schools? And of course, it's increasingly topical with the move, the migrant movements in Europe at the moment mm-hmm. um, and from Eastern Europe. And it has been, a, you know, an issue that's been on the agenda for a number of years due to various different conflicts around the world and uh, the movement of people. And like you say, um, Ireland has experienced a huge change in, mm. in that regard. Historically, we would be, you know, a, a net exporter of people, for want of a better way of putting that. And lots of European countries are experiencing change, even countries who have traditionally been destination countries, we call them. So countries of interest to migrants, or they would have, migrants would be journeying towards. But their profiles have changed. And that's why this, that's where this kind of project came out of. So I'm part of a, it's the, of a working group that involves six countries. Mm-hmm. So we have from Norway in the north to the tiny island of Malta in the Mediterranean Sea. We have Ireland and Portugal on the western seaboard, right over to Romania and Turkey, which is our bridge then into, into what we would have called in biblical times Asia Minor. You know, okay. uh, yeah. So there's a lovely sweep of European Absolutely. countries yeah. involved. And what was interesting, um, when we started to look at the data, two countries, or schools in two countries, cited ethos mm. as an influencing factor on their approaches to integrating migrants. Okay. Only two out of the six. Mm. And when we dug deeper, we discovered that the schools in the, the schools that we had studied in these countries, the ethos that they were referring to was a denominational ethos. Okay. A Catholic ethos to mm-hmm. be uh, specific. So 
the researchers in these two countries, one was Ireland, the other was Malta, decided to take make a little sidebar investigation. Right. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about today. Okay, very interesting. What's the title of the broader project, the overall project? Uh, so the overall project is known as Tribes. So I'm going to have to look this one up, Peter. Uh, it's transnational collaboration on bullying, migration, and integration at second level school level. Okay, and, and if there is anything available on that or a link to the anti bullying centre? Uh, yes, you'll definitely get it on the National Anti Bullying Centre. Uh, website and our own James O'Higgins Norman is the chair of the entire project. Okay. Six working groups, over 33 countries, um, European Union funded. It's a massive project. Okay. I'm just part of a small part of it. Yeah. Okay. So what we'll do is um, for our listeners, we'll put that in the link to those, uh, the Anti Bullying Centre and any reports on that into the description uh, of this episode of the podcast so they can consult that. Okay. So that's a great context. So there's a bit broader project happening around migration, some of the opportunities challenges um, and what the, uh, these countries in Europe are doing to to tackle those challenges and you and a kind of a subgroup um, of those project partners have identified ethos as a factor in um, assisting migrants to um, what's the word I'm looking I think for it's 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 the ethos is almost like it's the inspiration okay so schools okay. schools are doing their best mm-hmm. By and large, the vast majority of schools are doing their best. They have limited budgets. They have limited resources. They're, they're working in constrained environments. So what inspires a school okay. to go... I'm not saying over and beyond or uh, you know, above and beyond the call of duty, but what inspires them to put integration of migrants at the centre okay. of what they're doing? Okay. Um, and this is what we discovered... Uh, there was an inspiration behind these group of schools. Okay. And when we, when we dug deeper, they, what they were citing was a denominational, a Catholic ethos. Okay. Okay. Um, so we looked into the tradition, into the Catholic tradition, and uh, to see, well, if they're citing ethos, mm-hmm. what is the ethos or what is the tradition of Catholicism mm-hmm. where integration and migration is concerned? Um, because there are lots of ebbs and flows in religious mm. traditions mm-hmm. around thorny issues like this. Um, but for the present Pope, the leader of the um, Catholic Church, Pope Francis, he's certainly very strong on this. Mm-hmm. Um, some would say that this and the environmental crisis are the two dominant themes of his papacy. Okay. In fact, his first pastoral visit outside Rome, in, you know, he was elected in 2013, in his 80s, but his first pastoral visit outside Rome was to the tiny island of Lampedusa. We thought Malta was tiny. Mm. Lampedusa is a tiny island in the Mediterranean, which was just experiencing this influx of waves of migrants from Libya mostly. Mm-hmm. And he, he went there to highlight what he calls the shipwreck of civilization. Okay. It's a very um, vivid term, mm, the shipwreck mm, of civilization, and to highlight the plight of, of these migrants mm-hmm. and the responsibility of the church that he leads mm-hmm. to do something about it. Okay. Um, so he is certainly very strong on this. Um, and he has published a booklet called Fratelli Tutti, which can broadly be uh, translated as a single human family. Okay. Fratelli Tutti. And his, his, you know, he reaches right back into the tradition. 
um, concern for migrants is not a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. He reaches right back into the Hebrew scriptures, you know, the talk of the Israelites and the Egyptians and mm-hmm. the Exodus. But he says it in a very contemporary way. Okay. And he puts a challenge really to the Christian community to um, that there is a responsibility towards inclusion and integration. Okay. So do you see, obviously that, that is the, the leadership from the figurehead of yes. the, the Catholic Church in, in that regard. And have you identified elements of that then within these two schools? Is that are you, is the tracing back to, to that leadership? Is, is that it? or? Well, you know, you've put your finger on it there because I think that was, let's say, our conceptual framework. Mm-hmm. That's where the researchers were working out of. But when we talked to the schools, that was not their language at all. Okay. In fact, none of the people we interviewed or talked to, and we talked to the heads, the, the, the principals, deputy principals, we talked to teachers, particularly those who were involved with um, newly arrived migrant students, coordinators, English language teachers, and we talked to the parents. We talked to the parents of the migrant students themselves, newly arrived migrant parents. None of them used that language. Okay. How they expressed it was in terms of their own vision, which often was rooted in a particularly in a particular founding order. Okay. Or a particular um, founding vision. Mm-hmm. So, for example, and I can certainly share this one with you: the Irish school in, for which we did a case study, in which we did a case study, was a presentation school, mm-hmm. um, and the way they articulated is in terms of Nanonagel, the inspiration of Nanonagel, this 18th century, uh, young, privileged, wealthy young woman, Paris education, everything going for her, who could not but respond to the plight of the poor, impoverished, absolutely vulnerable Catholic population that were living around her under the penal laws at the time. Okay. And this school that we spoke to and that we um, investigated as part of our case study, that was their vision, that was their language. If Nana was around, who would be the poor, mm. the destitute, of who today. needs our help? Mm. And that's where they situated their outreach to migrants. Okay. And so that was the school in Ireland and there was a very similar almost mirror image in did you say it was Malta it was similar in that their inspiration came from their founding religious order okay um, which has a mission of care and compassion and men and women helping others okay now they were a very different school in that the Irish school was a presentation school in an urban area a desh band one disadvantaged school this was a, quite a middle class quite a privileged school, totally oversubscribed, to um, double the applicants uh, for every place. But the leadership of the school and the trustees of the school had made the decision to put a quota, a, a quota of places aside every year for migrants. Okay. This meant that the local Maltesers lost out because it was so oversubscribed mm. and parents were not happy. But they had to stick with this and they had to bring the parents on board by recourse to their mission and to the outreach that the local religious order was doing with migrants. Mm. And by, again, using the words of privilege and responsibility. Mm -hmm. And they it's still it's still small. The intake of migrants is still about four percent. 
but it was so counterintuitive or counter the flow. And again, the fact that they stuck to their guns, that they mm. had to sell this to parents, that they had to meet uh, a lot of resistance mm. from, the, from the families um, who wanted a place in that school. Um, and they were able to say, no, this is a responsibility. This is what we need to do and we will be increasing it and we need you on board. And certainly what strikes me there is there is the sticking to their guns piece um, as as an establishment, as a school. But then as part of a community, there's the um, spreading of that perception in terms of convincing others within the community that this is the right thing to do because it has a broader impact than just the school if, if it's oversubscribed and... Um, parents are waiting on places for their kids you know it there's a bigger piece around the, the broader good of what's happening and convincing yeah, it's society what we would call in 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 the jewish um tradition the jewish religious religious tradition it's what we would call the prophetic voice okay that they that, that it's like a modern day prophet holding up a mirror to the population and saying we need to step up here because this is who we are this is what our tradition is and this is actually what brings life to the world. What I find interesting, you may not be able to answer this question, but what strikes me talking to you is how does that um, ethos carry through time? You yeah. know, so you have two specific examples there um, who cite an ethos that goes you know, way back. Way back. How does that find its way through time to be part of that? I don't know if that's come through. but Well, one thing I would say is the, is the vividness of... An inspirational founder. Okay. So in the presentation school we worked with, they tell the story intentionally every year with their new first years. Who was Nano Nagel? The lady with the lantern mm. who walked through the little narrow mean streets of Cork, who set up this little school in Cove Lane. They tell that story and it's vivid and it's colourful and it's inspirational. So there, there's an element of like the character in this, as oh, in yes. the, the person um, yeah. keeping it relevant. Yes. Um, the, and we wondered, we wondered, and we, we don't have an answer for this ourselves, is that why that's where... That's what. That's how the ethos is made sense of, mm. rather than church universal, or figureheads, or documents. It's this that seems to be keeping the ethos. It's alive. It's almost like for me, just listening to you and not not knowing the broader context. It, it, it is almost like there is a, there's a there's a vision or a character that people can recognize and um, see the value of, and if that is retold in a current context, they can that's it buy into it, which yeah. may not be the right term, but you know, mm. kids who may not be overly you know religious at this point can still buy into the the. Uh, the values of that character because it's so clear and so easy to... I think to, you're to... right. And in in the profile of... So the presentation school we worked with had at least 50% of their um, student intake were migrant students. Okay. And in quite a number of those were from um, the Islamic re- religious tradition. Uh, the parents we interviewed, we had Hindu parents, we had lots of faith traditions. Mm. And they could tell me about Nan mm. And they considered her a universal figure who embodied what what we would call universal human values. Yeah, yeah. Values that are shared across religious traditions and yeah. other world views. Very like there's nothing there's not the, there's nothing overtly religious no, about it really. Or it's there's a, no sense that somehow Catholicism has a monopoly on mm, these mm. values. In fact it's quite the opposite. Mm. Fascinating stuff. Shared, yeah. Yeah. Um so 
what next? Um, or is there anything you would like to do next? Is there is there new connections you would like to make? Is there a next step in this? Yes. So this was a sidebar study mm -hmm. to this larger study, and it was very much an exploratory study. And as an exploratory study, what we were really hoping for was to raise areas where there could be further research. Okay. So where areas where it might go, we talked to uh, leaders, we talked to teachers, we talked to parents, we didn't talk to students. Okay. So the student voice is missing. Yeah, yeah. The second thing I'd say is that we used we used the case study approach. It would be interesting to look at how other schools with the denominational ethos in Ireland or in Malta are approaching um, integration of migrants yeah. and, to, and to look for diversity of approaches. It would also be interesting to look at other other types of ethos. So we're making no claim on there's an exclusivity here to a denominational ethos. It just happened to emerge from the data. Mm. But what do schools with other types of ethos, what do they do? What are their approaches? Yeah. Let's learn from, from that too. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, lots of uh, future directions. And also, yeah, lots what, of future directions. Um, as somebody who's heavily involved in research, what, what I admire about it is the following the trail. Yeah. You know, so you're part of a bigger project and something emerged and you and colleagues in Malta follow that trail and, you know, it's led to some interesting um, interesting findings. Just a question, um, the, the re is there a report or a paper about this that we could link to in the podcast? We're, is in, there the, we're in the process. It's in the sure. process, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nothing finished, nothing published. Um, but we certainly hope to. Okay, great stuff. Well, listen, um, that was a really interesting conversation, Emily, and thanks again for uh, spending the time with us to tell us all about it. And thanks, Peter, for your time. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us on Let's Talk Research. To find out more about the podcast, you can contact me directly at peter.d.tiernan at dcu.com.